RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 43, the one with the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Welcome into this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Let me set a scene for you. Victorville, California. It's 101 degrees outside, and uh, your friendly podcast co-hosts are sitting outside a frozen custard place in the hot blazing sun as we drink our hot blazing coffee. We're on the road back from Vegas. I've got the con voice. How are you feeling, Ken? Uh, well, how am I feeling? Well... Because I think I sound okay. Yeah. I feel a lot worse than I sound. I hope. But maybe I sound just as bad as I feel. That's kind of hard to imagine, though. Uh, so we've stopped on the side of the road because later tonight, uh, we're going our separate ways for the first time in a week. Uh, and, and I'm going to put together what you're hearing right now. Uh, plus, we thought it would be neat to... Uh, well, I mean, we, we are taking you to Vegas, which you're going to hear some of that in a minute. And then, uh, yeah, we thought, yeah, we'll stop on the side of the road and talk to everybody and, uh, and see how that's going. So, John, won't you please tell people uh, what they're going to be hearing today? So we had two panels in the last week, and uh, today you're going to hear the later panel, which is the Roddenberry Podcast Network panel kind of a a survey of fandom and about fandom impact on Star Trek. There was a big announcement made, you've probably heard it by now, about Patrick Stewart coming back to uh, Star Trek for some new adventures of Jean-Luc Picard. I I love the extraneous noise picking up on this recording. It's very real. I I work very hard to get all these sound effects in. You're you're sort of, yeah. yeah. So you're going to hear the panel, and I was really touched that we had people come up to the mic and share their fandom stories, share their passion for why they're there, why they love Star Trek. And then uh, right after that, right after that panel, we all went back to the table, and I mean representatives from each of the Roddenberry Podcast Network shows, and we talked about the news of Picard returning, because that is directly related to Star Trek fandom. And we try to wrap our heads around what that yeah, means. Number 148 is ready. ready, by the way, Excellent. if uh, you got to pick up here. So you're going to hear two parts. You'll hear the panel, which ran half an hour. You'll hear our roundtable discussion. Yeah, 148, 148, please, for the love of all that is holy, get your sandwich. Um, and then uh, later in the week, we have our panel. Well, we're not going to... We're not going to tell you about later in the week right now. We're going to tell you about later in the week, later in the show. In the meantime, um, Larry was not able to join us, actually, for that second discussion. So what you're about to hear is uh, is uh, is Elijah and Kenna from Priority One, Sue and Grace from Women at Warp, Larry, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek from The Trek Files, and, uh, and a couple of guys you may know as Ken and Ray from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I gotta go get my burger. All right, guys, we have our next panel just about to start. It is the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So if that's what you're looking for, you're in the right place. Let's give them a big round of applause and welcome on, on to our stage. Hi, we're the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Who are you? Sorry. Um, right, so John Champion, Ken Ray, Allison, 
Kenna Pitt and Elio Elijah Leo. Grace. Yeah, from uh, from the uh, from uh, Priority uh, One, and I can't see who else is down there. Will everyone Grace please? Grace uh, Sue, right there. Grace Moore from Women at Warp. Sue Kissenweather from Women at Warp. Oh. oh, she did it. Grace, why so much sweet and low? Because like the Starbucks down the hall, I have no equal. And Larry Nemechek. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek from hey everybody. the Everybody, I hope you're trekking well this weekend. Hey, Roddenberry, yes. Star Trek podcast. So, um, did you guys hear any news today? Anything new <laughs> going on? Anything big going on? There was a... Before we, before we get to the stuff that we had planned to talk about, it felt like it would be silly not to talk about that, especially because if you were in the room, two amazing things happened. First of all, the fans went crazy. And second, Patrick Stewart said, and whether this is actor speak or whether this is absolutely 100%, Patrick Stewart cited fandom as the reason that he's coming back. And, and what I said to these guys earlier, it's not exactly a letter campaign, let's save Star Trek, but the fact that we're all here and the fact that we're all still talking about this and the fact that we're all reaching out to the people mm-hmm. who make Star Trek is making Star Trek. And that's kind of a really neat thing, because when we said, oh, let's talk about fandom, then they went on stage and said, here's why fandom's actually a big deal, because I'm going to go and resurrect this character who I thought I had killed 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something like that. Not actually killed. Not actually killed 20 years ago. We don't know his head cannon. Okay. True. (laughs) True. Patrick Stewart has his own head cannon. (laughs) <laughs> that is rad. Migo's going to bring it out, actually. Oh, I can't wait. Really I will wear that. Leftover from uh, Lacutus. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, I don't know. My personal head cannon just exploded. So, mm-hmm. you know. So what we had planned to talk about, and if anybody exploded. wants to talk about, okay. we have a microphone. I don't know when we're going to say, hey, come on up and ask questions. But if you've got no. questions, go ahead and, you know, be thinking about them. What we wanted to talk about, actually, is... is oh, I'm sorry. Why our fandom doesn't stop with, yeah, I like Star Trek. I mean, there are different shows up here. I mean, we're all Star Trek fans, and we could all be making podcasts. In fact, we are all making podcasts, but we're not all making the same podcast. Uh, Larry uh, does a, a sort of a, a history angle, obviously, because that's his, that's, that's his thing. Women at Warp do a feminist angle because that's their thing. These guys are doing, Priority One is doing a weekly news show because that's their thing, and we sit around and talk to each other a lot because, you know, we're like that. That's our thing. That's our yeah. thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we kind of want to just, uh, t- I'm, I mean, I guess the question to start off with everyone, and whoever wants to go first, raise your hand. Nobody wants to go first. What okay. was the question? Oh, okay, so they'll go first. I guess the question is, like, like why, does your, why does your fandom lead to what it is that you do? How is it that you don't just stop with, well, I'm a Star Trek fan, or... I like current events. I mean, how is it that your fandom led to the show that you do? Well, for me personally, um, I'm kind of all over the place as a, well, as a general person. Um, obviously, I'm a huge, just geeky, nerdy Star Trek fan. I want to know what's going on now. I mean, I started off podcasting really from the gaming space. So that was, that was my initial sort of inroad into the fandom. And then that's really expanded. So now I'm really into keeping up with exactly what's going on, what's the newest things, what are happening around the globe with other people as well. Um, and I just want to just really quickly apologize for taking all the selfies because I'm a huge fan and that's what this is about, so I thought it was probably okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Good. 
Um, I think for, for Women at Warp, if I can speak for both of us, absolutely, is that uh, when you are a woman, when you are a marginalized person, when you are a queer person, your existence is inherently political. And um, you can't turn that off when you watch media, but Star Trek embraces that, and it opens those conversations. And I think having those conversations is really important, especially for people who don't have those perspectives. And um, when we came up with the idea to talk uh, to do Women at Warp, to do this show, we realized at the time there wasn't anybody doing it. And a lot of the Star Trek podcasting was shows hosted in mostly, if not entirely, by men. And it didn't make any sense because, you know, as Larry can probably agree with me, a lot of Star Trek fandom has been driven by women. Women organized the conventions, women ran the well committee, women uh, wrote books and collected stories and created fanzines. And there is no reason that shouldn't continue as uh, technology continues. And if I can just add to that, I think all of us as hosts were coming from a situation where anytime we were having a conversation, there'd be a point where we'd have to stop it and say, actually, as a woman, that's a little different. Or um, as a queer person, that's a little different. There were lots of caveats that we had to add into whatever conversations we were having. Because simply put, if you're talking about a utopia and a society that's you know, being shown in Star Trek, any group of people that you don't see there is someone, whether intentionally or not, saying, this is the perfect future I see. You are not in it. So we all wanted to be conscious about that and keep the conversation going. I was just, I was just a big, when I was a kid, I was a big history buff fan, and I was a big NASA real space science fan, and I built models, and I, all that. And it's really since, since Leonard passed away, I've really gone back and been aware of things that were just so unexamined with me. But basically, I think I took a lot of Star Trek for granted. Well, yeah. Well, of course we go from caves to city-states to countries to a united world to a united federal. Of course, that's the arc of history. Or else we blow ourselves up like Gene said. Well, of course that's what will happen. And, you know, so all of this and, and the history speeches that Kirk would give. Napoleon, Hitler, Caesar, Lee Kwan, and those kinds of things. It's us out there. I love sci-fi, but I didn't consciously think about that until Star Wars. That's another galaxy. It's far, far away. It's fun. But this is us in the future for all of that 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 means. And the background of Star Trek. And then how did they get to the background of Star Trek? And that's what wound me, how I wound up with you know, the backgrounding, the behind the scenes, canon, all those kinds of things. And all, so much of the aspirational and the, and the utopian and the futuristic positivism, I just took for granted until the last few years. And kind of like, oh, when I see people that don't get that. And I have to go, what, didn't you get that? That was just a given. Oh, I guess not. So trying to keep all that poked up for people. Yeah. And um, I'll answer for Mission Log about uh, why we do what we do. Um, Ken and I are similar in the respect that, you know, we both grew up watching Star Trek, kind of fell into the fandom, fell out of the fandom back in just over a number of years. And um, professionally, both found ourselves uh, podcasting. I had a, a couple of web series that I was producing in Chicago and uh, both met this guy named Rod who said, hey, Star Trek's a show about ideas. I want to figure out a way to explore those ideas. And you happen to be a couple of guys who like to talk about those ideas. I mean, you specifically describe being in college and watching Next Gen and then having these hours-long conversations with your friends and roommates afterward. Um, I, I kind of... Uh, 
you know, I grew up as a kid who was amazed by spaceships and phasers and aliens and thought that was cool and uh, sort of emotionally uh, got wrapped into the stories of Star Trek. And then when I put it away for a little while and came back to it, the first thing that I did was go to a convention because I hadn't been to one in a long time. And uh, there I was in Chicago, hadn't been to a convention in maybe 15 years or something. And I thought, this is the way to come back to it, is to go back among my people, you know, and, uh, and really get a sense of the excitement for Star Trek again. Um, that was a few years before talking to Rod about the whole podcast thing and, and his real desire to explore what we call the morals, meanings, messages. And, and even before that, it, it was just a, a, a couple of sit-down dinners, and I, I think you had a similar experience, you and Rod, me and Rod, separately, to saying, well, what do we feel about the future? What do we feel about the message of Star Trek? What are the messages? Are they relevant? Um, are, are they even coherent? <laughs> Does Star Trek have a coherent statement to say, I guess we'll have to watch 735 hours plus and figure that out in a few 15 years. Yeah. So that's, that's what got us there. Um, so yeah, my, my fandom has had various levels and various intensities over time. Um, and, and now it's a little weird to have a foot in fandom and a foot in Star Trek being a, a, a thing that I do for partially for a living. It, it's a little weird. But I like that it keeps me disciplined. <laughs> you know, right? like I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let Rod down. I don't want to let the listeners down. So that makes me watch Star Trek with a more critical eye than I did at any other point in my life. Let's let's also ask you guys some questions and have you ask us some questions. If you do have something burning that uh, that you can't wait to get out to us and to the audience, make sure you come up to the mic there, and we will get to you ASAP. I actually did. Um, one of the questions that we wanted to find out from you guys, because I've been curious, is this, is this where your fandom lives, or is there something else that you do the rest of the time? I mean, we come here and we do this, and it's an absolute blast, but then we go home and keep doing Star Trek podcasts. I'm curious what Star Trek, what Star Trek is like the other 51 weeks a year for you guys. I do also have a question specifically for, uh, for Larry and for uh, Women at Warp. Star Trek is obviously relevant today. That's why we're here. Or I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. There may be people who are here because they used to like Star Trek, and they just want to go back and celebrate the thing they used to like. For a lot of us, uh, Star Trek is sort of relevant. I know you guys, your, your show is dedicated, I mean, is, is dictated by what's happening today. You're a news show. Our show is dictated by this is the next episode we're watching, and so that's what we're going to do. I'm curious... Larry, when you are picking out documents, are you thinking about, wow, this was something 40 years ago and it's a thing today? And I'm curious, Grace and Sue, when you guys are deciding what you're going to talk about next, is it something that you're like, okay, this is a thing that happened in Star Trek and I want to talk about it, or this is a thing that's happening right now, let's, let's find the Star Trek lens through which we can look and, and you guys can you know, flip a coin. Sure. I have a good answer. Um, it, it sort of depends when we're, we're looking at our schedule. One of the things we did recently, um, if you're aware of what was happening in Ireland, they reversed their abortion ban. 
And uh, after that news came about, that's when we decided to talk about the TOS episode, The Mark of Gideon, which is all about reproductive rights. And uh, Kirk literally gives a speech about birth control in the 60s on TV. And people seem to forget that. Every if, time- you, if you saw that episode and didn't parse that out, what show were you watching? <laughs> every time I, I tweet that gif every now and then, why not teach your people about the, the safe contraception? People reply to me and they're like, wait, that's not swear track? No, that's real. <laughs> that happens. That uh, is a conversation yeah. that was happening even if we weren't hearing that much of it. Yeah, and there was also uh, recently the, the issues in the Star Wars fandom surrounding Kelly Marie Tran being bullied off of uh, Instagram. It's happened to other actors. And we did our episode shortly after a lot of that news broke about toxic fan culture. Uh, so it, if we can... If we have a, something very clearly we can relate to almost a breaking news item, we certainly do. But I think there's something in every Star Trek that we can bring back to what's happening today. And it might not always be what you expect. Um, we did an episode a while back on The Outcast. And uh, looking at it today, clearly at the time it was meant to be you know, a very special gay episode. And be our after, an after-school special of sorts. But now, in uh, 2018... Uh, the, the guests on the show, the, the hosts on the show that time, determined that looking at it through today's lenses, it sort of fails as a gay representation episode, but it also kind of succeeds as a trans representation episode. Or, so as, a, they, by, uh, or as a non-gendered, represent, yeah, a non-binary as, representation. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, sometimes they fail into success, if you want to look at it that way. And to be completely honest, we have 50 years worth of franchise to work with here. There is no shortage of conversation to be drawn from any year of that. There's a lot we can work with, a lot of story to um, get through and to pull from, really, conversationally. There's a lot to work with. Well, the, and the exciting thing, I remember 5, 10, 15 years ago wondering what the, what the internet, what cultures would do, what our online culture would do to conventions. Would, would internet make all, and, and message boards and then social media make all this obsolete? And it hasn't. It's kind of brought it back into a vengeance as a family reunion. But on Trek Files, as we're going through um, Gene's documents, we're going through Gene's drawers. Um, <laughs> we... Not as much fun as that sounds. <laughs> a lot of dust in the air. A little mold at times. Um, but, no, seriously. Seriously. No, we, broke we always view things. There's, there's the historical aspect because Gene's time and his papers cover the, you know, the, the origin of the original series and then the after years, the movies, the pilots in the 70s, the movie projects that failed... And then the, uh, then the movie era when Gene was on the outs, when Hard Bennett was running movies, and then the, the roots of Next Generation, and then the first few years of that series. But even we have some things from, we did a Have Gun, Will Travel letter from the American Baptist Association praising Gene for an episode. But all of that time, and, and the most shocking one, sometimes they're just great history, like the unknown 1986 premise for Next Gen had Gene not come back hands-on. The studio was prepared to run with something. But then we come across... The context of today, because one thing that affects all this is we look at all of these, we looked at them 10 and 20 years ago through a certain filter, 
every 10, 20 years, this is always going to be fresh. We're always going to have things to talk about because our own social and personal filters change every 5, 10 years. But to find a memo from 86 where David Gerald was warning Gene, something as Vulcan and peaceful as having Vulcan show up and saying, we come in peace, how an alien culture might take that, oh, oh yeah, really? And you're here on our planet? And that was exactly one of the points of the Discovery pilot. And I just dropped that piece of paper when we found it. It was like, oh my God, this relates directly to Discovery purely on a production Star Trek-y level. But then we also have celebrity and media and politics and all of these things that we can view them through and, and relate to today and give ourselves more context for today. And that's what, it's wonderful, cool history and Star Trek history. But yes, it gives us a lens about, oh, and we've come this far and here's how far we have to go on all those kinds of levels. And that's what I love about Trek Files and thank you for having me to do it. And it's, it keeps opening up as we get into it, what we can do. With something as old and dusty as Gene's papers. So I wanted to add a little bit. Um, priority one, uh, yes, we do recap the news um, that happens in Star Trek on a weekly basis. But one of the, one of our, the backbones of the podcast uh, has been our coverage of Star Trek Online, which is, for those of you that don't know, is a massively multiplayer online game that you is free to play uh, that takes place... 30 years past Nemesis, and it really is until Discovery, now Rivera, lead designer, is sitting right there. Um, and it really is, um, it, until, up until Discovery, it really was one of the best places, if not the best place, to continue the voyages as your own captain in Star, in Star Trek, in the mythos. And they do a fantastic job honoring uh, the canon. Um, to that end, Massively multiplayer online game means it is a massively multiplayer. There are people all over the world that we have engaged with on the show um, through uh, the grand thing that is the internet. So whether it's something like TeamSpeak or Ventrilo where we all get on with our headsets and talk to each other and collaborate uh, to new platforms like Discord, to live streaming like Twitch. Uh, that's the other side of the fandom that, that, that we get to see uh, between conventions. Let's go to our very patient caller who has been standing by. Heck yeah, I, I almost forgot my point because he started. But anyways, I think for me, when you look at, the, at, my, at my fandom, when you, you ask the question is, you know, what? Why are we just, oh, I, don't li- I like Star Trek too. I, I'm coming to this big thing. And I think, I think, and I've said this before to you guys personally and in these panels, but like, John and uh, Ken have really, your podcast brought me back into a fandom. And I think all the technology, what it does is, for me, as, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s, you know, for many years I thought I was the only one. For many, many years. I was the only Star Trek fan, and I was the only monster kid, and I was the only person that liked this or that. But with the internet, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not alone. And, I, and with the podcast... I could, you know, it's like every week I can sit and do what I like to do at a convention, sit around and listen to people talk about what I like. And I don't have to actually have to participate. I don't have to participate, but I love listening. So my, I'm a, my fandom now is in podcasts because I like, all, I have different podcasts I listen to. You have excellent taste. Based, <laughs> based on, based on my, my fandoms when I was a kid, but they've all come back because these people are inspired and they are excited about what I was excited about when I was a kid. So I'm a kid again 
and I like listening to podcasts. So I thank all of you. I haven't listened to you guys. Sorry, I'm going to try them out. But uh, I thank all you guys for what you're doing. And I think that's what makes the fandom today better. And I think, like you were saying, uh, Larry, that it's, it's actually helped to grow these conventions. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it's, oh, I listen and listen and listen. I want to meet these people. I want to be with these people. And that's why we're coming to the conventions. We're not alone. That's what, I think that's no. what the Internet has shown us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a check waiting for you at the Roddenberry table. We'll, uh, we'll see you a little later. Real, real quick. The first real professional and mainstream level look at what fandom was was Sandra Marshak and Jacqueline um, um, Lichtenberg's book, Star Trek Lives, which gee, we had the gene forward for it. And one of their effects of what's, why this thing called Star Trek and this media explosion and why... what They had a thing called the discovery effect. And that was part of it. It was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. And when paper and mail and postage stamp, Sacy zine fandom led to conventions, led to clubs in the pre-internet era, and people went, oh my God, I'm not alone. That was one of the... And it didn't exist in anything else until then. Well, there was, uh, there was also the well committee that came out of right, that culture. Right, right. And... Um, on the back of, of that book, on the back of Star Trek Lives, they published uh, a mailing address. You know, if you want to find your local fan club, if you want to be connected with more Star Trek fans, write to the Well Committee. So in the early 70s? 72, 72, 72 73. Yes. That organization disbanded, I believe, in 2000. I was going to say, when the internet so, kind of took yeah. its place. So 30 years of completely fan-organized connection of just trying to put people in touch with each other to create a community. And that's what I think Star Trek fandom is about more than anything else, is about the community. I, I say Star Trek invented the internet. Star Trek invented the internet with paper and stamps 30 years <laughs> from there. Because there was a demand. These people wanted to know the information. They wanted to know each other. They wanted to find each other. And it had to be in the horse and buggy days of mm. every, anything for a Sacy. Anybody know what a Sacy is? Self-addressed, self-addressed stamped envelope. envelope. Yes, you could send a self-addressed, get a catalog, get a fan list, get a club list, get a convention list, and the well committee was the hub of that because it did not exist otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's like fan and the power of that passion did created something that didn't exist. It's like, damn it, if the internet's thirty years away, we're going to do it like this right now. <laughs> yeah. But one the, one great thing about the internet and technology, and I'm, thank you for bringing that up, is that uh, fandom is not a monolithic culture, and it's actually a lot easier to access your own particular brand of fandom, whether you're into yes. games or novels or cosplay or whatever it is. And that's part of the reason that we wanted to ask you guys in the audience what exactly you are into. Is it everything, or have you got a little niche that maybe you know? Uh, the, some forums somewhere have, have led you to connect with other people with your exact niche. And let's, you're waiting there patiently behind the mic. Let's, I don't come know on if up. I have a niche. This, this, this convention every year is very important to me. It's the one time of the year that I can be with humans who have filled in their heart with the vision from Gene, which is a world without war, a world without money, a world without bigotry, without hatred, without homelessness or famine or any of this ridiculous stuff. And when I come here and I see people, you know, you can leave your handbag on the floor and it will be handed in. You, you, you can drop your iPhone. It, it will be handed in. You can be as disabled as you like. People will open the doors for you. It, 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 Gene would be proud 
I, I spend 300 days a year completely on my own. And when I come here, I am filled. It lasts me all year because I'm with really decent people who understand that these are historical documents that we have to work towards. And that's why I come every year. That's very well said. There's actually a really cool thing that I didn't know until recently. Um, so we've put together a VR thing. It's called Sansar. It's here. You can demo it. That's great. And you're, you're really selling it there. It took us a year. Man, I'm going right now. Well, no, but I don't. I don't. I don't want this. To, I don't want this to be a thing where I'm stumping for something else. So we were collecting audio for different things, and one of the one of the items that is in the virtual reality space is one of Majel's old license plates. And originally, Rob was going to record a thing like, hey, it's my mom's license plate. And I was like, well, dude, it's your mom, and, and, and it's you. So can you tell me a little bit more? And one of the things that he said was, and, you got, and this audio is available in that thing. You can listen to it. After Jean died, she felt like it was her job to sort of carry on this vision. But she didn't have Jean to check with. And it was people here. It was people, it was fans coming up to her and she was checking in with them, making sure that she was staying the course, that she felt like they needed her to stay and that he would have been on. And then Patrick Stewart comes up and says, yeah, you guys called me back out. I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, this is important. And it's weird because you don't think so. You think you're watching television and you are, but it's doing more than that too. We have another caller on the line. We have, uh, we have number one Mission Log Live listener, hey Meredith. Um, so obviously I'm a Trek fan or I wouldn't be here. Um, but I don't know the names of like every starship or every phaser or alien. And I feel that's kind of intimidating when you're at an event like this. I feel like a poser. So I'm just wondering how you guys feel about that. <laughs> I join you. I join you. And do you guys ever feel obligated to like know all of those little details as podcasters? <laughs> May I? Yeah. <laughs> I forget the name of an episode so, um, in the middle of the episode. <laughs> this is what we call gatekeeping. Yeah. <laughs> you have to know this. Let me give you a quiz. You can't really be a Star Trek fan. BS, because it's only 2.15. Um, <laughs> it's, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You don't have to prove yourself as a fan. All you have to do to be a fan of something is like that thing. Let me paint you a picture here for a second. <laughs> have you ever sat down to watch a movie with someone, neither of you have seen it, and you both sit down and think different things about it at the end, and the other person's like, well, I guess you weren't really watching it. That's about as accurate yeah. as someone saying, well, I just know Star Trek more than you. No, you've watched it, you've enjoyed it, it meant something to you, it is just as important, you are just as much a fan as anyone else. And saying that you need to be quizzed or that you have to memorize a list of starships is just ridiculous. There, no one gets to tell you how to be a fan. Right. Nobody. And I, I, if I can share a little anecdote about my early fandom... Um, so I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I was still new to Star Trek. I was watching TNG. We're all new at one point. Right, we're all new at one point. And I had a Nintendo 64. 
And I was so excited because now I can, maybe I can continue the voyages that I'm watching on television uh, in, with my console. So I go to Toys R Us, I saved up money. And I went to Toys R Us and it was the whole wall of Nintendo 64 games. And I picked one out. And it was Star Wars. And I brought home Star Wars because I wasn't sure. I still didn't really know the difference. And um, I love this story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I still, it keeps me up at night every once in a while. Um, And uh, there's an ongoing joke that Deep Space Nine is my least favorite track. And people, you know, give me crap about it all the time. Uh, But, you, you know, you've already so eloquently put it. Uh, the, it, Star Trek is so immersive and it doesn't matter where you start or where, who, where you end um, you get to choose how you, you immerse yourself you get to choose on how you immerse buy a Star Wars game and think of it as Star Trek and if there was any time in history when all of this was true it's now right, 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 it's not right. likely we had the six exalted tomes that only four people get to no it's everywhere you can get it anyway there's also really quickly there's this idea in uh, like the study of fan culture that Generally speaking, I will couch that as much as I can, in general, that men tend to be collectors, whether that is collectors of uh, collectibles, of starships, of action figures, of magazines, of books, of knowledge, and women tend to be creators, and that leads to fan art and zines and fan clubs and communities. And one is much more respected than the other um, from an outside source. Yeah. Yeah. But... Every part of it is valid. And if you're a woman who is a collector, good on you. If you're a man who is a creator, good on you. Because you be you. You are the, re- you, you are the one to determine how you enjoy the thing. And don't let anybody else tell you anything different. Yeah. I, I have very little to add to that except that yesterday in our panel, um, I, I want to reiterate something that I said there. I don't understand the, the compulsion that some people have to take enjoyment away from others. Um, I love criticism. I love the deep dive that we get to do every week. I love disagreement within that. Um, But as somebody very wise once said, uh, we can be, yeah, they might make it later. Uh, As somebody uh, once said, we can disagree without being disagreeable. And uh, that's a really nice thing about the conversations that we have every hour of every day that we're here and uh, for the most part everything that we get in reply to what we discuss on Mission Log. So um, having a favorite is great. Having a least favorite is great. Having uh, uh, analysis, criticism of what you watch is awesome. Using that as as a bludgeon to take away somebody's enjoyment of something and gatekeeping I think is absolutely horrendous. Um, and, And I hope that none of us have experienced that here. <laughs> um, now, so here's the, uh, here's the unfortunate part of where we are on the show. This is a very short panel, and we have the excellent problem of having people lined up to ask questions and pose comments. We won't be able to get to those right now, but we have a monolithic table in the middle of the vendor room with the Roddenberry logo on it. Please come there and visit us so we can continue this conversation. What we want to do right now, because we only have about three minutes left, is very quickly wrap up and everybody tell you where to find us. Uh, I guess we'll start back down at the other end with Larry there. Okay. Uh, the Trek Files is at Facebook at the Trek Files. Facebook.com slash the Trek Files. LarryNimichek.com for everything uh, Nimichek. 
so Women at Warp, womenatwarp.com, podcast.roddenberry.com, at Women at Warp on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, always the same username. Uh, me personally, like uh, we're all back at the monolith. 6.30 tonight, I'll be over at Count's Tattoos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if anybody will be at, uh, in Atlanta over Labor Day weekend, I will also be at DragonCon talking specifically about fandom herstory. So I have two panels on that. Come find me. You're a soldier. <laughs> You're a soldier. Six cons, eight weekends. Let's go. If you're in Seattle in fall, I'll be at Geek Girl Con uh, in October on the Chronic Conditions panel and pretty much just weaseling my way into any other panel I can get my fair self onto. So So you can find Priority One at PriorityOnePodcast.com. One the word, not the number. Uh, You can also easily find us at podcast.roddenberry.com. And tomorrow at 10.30, I have uh, the honor of moderating... Star Trek Online's Age of Discovery panel that features uh, Mary Wiseman and another very special guest. So don't miss that. Tomorrow at 10.30 right here in the DeForest Kelly Theater. I said earlier I didn't want to promote the VR thing. That's because I'm waiting till right now. Uh, <laughs> if you've not been over to the Tropica Room, we did spend uh, the better part of a year working on putting together a Roddenberry Museum. And one of the things that I'm most excited about that is it does allow us to continue the conversation in a different way. There was not a big deal to get the event space ready for this show, but there's going to be an event space there where we're going to have screenings and lectures and meetups and all sorts of things because we want this to continue with the people who can get there because not everybody can get here. So sansar.com is the place to find out about the platform, but over there you can just put on a headset and go to virtual town. As far as our show, uh, missionlogpodcast.com or, of course, podcasts.roddenberry.com. We'll tell you about all of these shows and any shows that we have coming up. And um, John can thank you enough, but I can't. So, and John can't either. Thank you guys all very much for coming out to see all of us. And come over to the table because we want to keep talking. So we are here with the Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast Network. That was a mess. Next to the whole network. (laughs) Live podcasting to talk about the announcement at Star Trek Las Vegas that we are going to see the return of Captain, or not Captain, Jean-Luc Picard. Civilian Jean-Luc Picard. He's not going to be captain. They said he's not captain anymore. They said he may not be captain anymore. All right, yeah, to I'm be just, fair, they were vague on basically all details. I'm just going to call him Old Man Picard. Old Man Picard. 20 years on. They didn't say civilian. All they no. said was may not, may not be captain. Immediately somebody turned to me and said, Admiral Picard. And I'm thinking, when has Admiral anybody been good news? I don't know why that would make somebody excited. What about Chief Somalier Picard? <laughs> He's made the Chateau Picard thing really work for him. The whole series is going to be him tending to his vineyard. Great. And then occasionally leaving the house for a wine tasting. The politics of import and export taxes in the Romulan sector? It is a brutal business, but he's the man for the job. All right, so it sounds like we're all speculating on what we would like or not like. Seriously, though, what would you like to see out of Picard 20 years on? Or 25 years on. 20 years post-nemesis. Sure, 20 years post-nemesis. Well, I said it on Twitter. I will say it again. <laughs> if Beverly is not part of Jean-Luc Picard's life 20 years in the future, I will follow the example of my foremothers and I will pick at CBS. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> She'll do it. She's just crazy enough to do it. 
I think I like the idea of a uh, of a still growing and learning B4 and Jean-Luc Picard out solving crimes and helping people. I really do like that idea. <laughs> I like the idea of seeing what happened with that. And then they're solving crimes and spitting rhymes with their own van going across the galaxy. It's Knight Rider meets Highway to Heaven meets Route 66. I love it and I want it. Yeah, me too. Plus then we get Brent Spiner back or, you know, somebody. What if the Borg return and he is... Oh, everybody viscerally just... I think somebody wants to take the mic and beat You're fired. Bit. That's what I thought. You're fired. That's what I thought. Just stop. No, Are I'm you sorry. as over the Borg as I am? Yeah, I kind of am, although... Are you bored with the Borg? I, I'm bored Borg. Borg bored. That's what I was hoping Borg, for. Borg. Above board and below board, I'm over Borg. All across the Borg? All across the Borg. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Actually, I was talking to a listener who had a really interesting pitch for how to make the Borg interesting again. And um, I'm going to take that idea uh, because he's not in the industry. So what was, what was the idea? I'm not going to share it here. Oh. We're going to, you know, make a million dollars off of it. We'll, we'll oh. all split it. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. Good. I'd be interested to know if they have any plans on following what's been happening in the shared continuity novels. Because there, I don't want to spoil anything, but there have been a lot of changes in the Federation since Nemesis. Like what? No, please spoil. I'm, I, spoiler Ancient, alert. I'll never well, read them, so. The Borg come back. But what? They, they oh, almost completely destroy the Federation until the Federation takes them away completely. There are no more Borg. However, like a genocidal has, thing? Like they, yeah. they, well, they, no. They technically they, count they as a species, They sort of like return them to their original state so they're not corrupted and evil California? anymore. Yes. Okay, but wait, here's my problem with this. No, but so. that's not the point. Okay, all right. No, but, 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 wait, I'm going to make no a point of it. no more Borg, though. No more Borg. Okay. Right? They're they're, over it. they're gone. I got yes. one more. I got one more. They've left. I'm so Borg with the USA. Great. Nice. But... <laughs> Uh, but it has left a rift in the Federation because of all the damage they did. So places like Andor are pulling out of the Federation. And okay. there's like these huge rifts and they have to rebuild. And there's not only like the Cardassian Union, there's the Typhon Pact. And they're, all, they're basically restructuring the politics of the Federation in these novels. Hmm. He's okay. A, he, in, in canon, he becomes ambassador to Vulcan, right? Isn't that Picard does? Yeah, actually, he does. That sounds in like the a cushy ID, job. In the I, in the IDW series, he becomes an ambassador to uh, to um, Vulcan. But is that canon? Question yeah, according, mark. According according to uh, J.J. Abrams, all the countdown comics leading up to the, the two thousand. All I, I don't even know why I'm going to repeat myself, but all the countdown Did comics uh, leading up to the two thousand nine movie are considered canon, and they take place in prime timeline. Would you, would you guys mind terribly if we move away from what might happen in the shows and talk instead about just what the return of Picard means? I was talking to uh, Lou over at Fansets earlier uh, yesterday, and what he kept saying is, this unifies everything. This unifies everything. Because, well, because it's 20 years after Nemesis, which means it's also after Voyager. It's also after Deep Space Nine. I started thinking, like, we could see Kelpians now. Ooh, I mean, we yeah. can actually go back to things that have been created since Next Gen left the air, since uh, your latest Star Trek iterations left the air, and fold those back in. I mean, this is a way to actually bring cohesion. I mean, not that, I mean they've been good about, and I know you hate the uh, canon yeah, thing, but they've been good about trying to keep that in, but this is a great way 
in a way that, like, you know, every time we see a JJ reboot or something, like, oh, get the ship from the mud incident, and look, we know these other names from Star Trek. This is actually a way to bring those things in in a real way that makes it more of a um, more of a cohesive universe. Is it? Who is it that? Somebody. It might honestly be Rod. I can't remember, but somebody always talks about wishing that we could have like a Marvel, not a cinematic universe, but a Marvel universe type thing with Star Trek, where. I mean, they've always existed at different times. They've always existed in different in different areas of space. This is a thing that could be... That's me that said that. Was it you that said that? <laughs> it is you that said Right, on Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Right. <laughs> she looks so much like Rod. Her Rod looks... I don't it know, really anyway. is a stunning it's, it's resemblance. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun idea, and it was interesting to me that the very first thing out of his mouth is, this is their chance to tie this all together in a way that probably only Marvel has to this point. Okay, but how is that, say, more or less, quote-unquote, real, or, quote-unquote, canon, um, than, uh, oh, look, here's Admiral Janeway, because Voyager's over, but let's give Kate something to do, so let's throw her into Nemesis. What about Captain Nog? Hey, Captain Nog. Captain Nog is in Star Trek Online. Shout-out to Will Wynn. Well, I mean, my answer to that question is Janeway was on screen for, what, a minute and a half in Nemesis? It was, that was fan service. That yeah. felt like fan service. I mean, it's not a bad bit of fan service. It's great to see Janeway actually active and alive and doing something. But these are going to be... It's good to know she wasn't traumatized by Voyager. It's good to... But these are going to be, um, hopefully... I mean, we, they didn't really tell us much of anything except that Picard is back. My assumption is it's series, because I think that rumor was out there before. Yeah. Maybe it's movies. Who knows? Uh, but it's a chance to tell longer stories. Right. If a Kelpian just walks by on screen and people are like, oh my gosh, a Kelpian. That's just fan service. Yeah. But, I mean, there are chances to I, I have a fear that that's what that would be. Well, it's possible. That's what, what we'll get. Or gets, uh, well, I guess they're not going to get served. They're not in the mirror universe. I was thinking, or gets it gets shown on screen just in a, in a bowl going past oh. Are they like at a conveyor belt sushi place? That's, that's when we go to ca- yeah, Old Man Picard Mirror Universe. Can you imagine that, though? Ooh. Pairs well with Chateau Picard. <laughs> this Kelpian is just too dry One thing for Patrick me. Stewart was talking about was how the fans brought him back to this because it gave everybody so much hope. And Discovery has gotten some crap about not being a positive vision of the future. So, and yet, Patrick Stewart also said that this would be a man changed by his experiences. So how does that all play together? How can we have a positive vision of the future? And usually when you say someone has changed, been changed by their experiences, they're in a darker place. Not all change is bad, and it is possible for things to be in a good place and just change. Be a different kind of all right. If I can get esoteric there for a second. Well, one of the things that I was kind of hoping to talk about with you guys was the the concept of Picard as a character. So one of the things that he presented very strongly in Next Generation was was as a diplomatic leader. And I think that's pretty much everyone can kind of agree on that. Um, What do you guys think? How, How can they use that in a new way, in a new show that's not just going to be us uh, seeing, oh, here's the same guy, and he's a diplomatic leader, uh, but he's older. I would like to see a broken Picard. We saw a little bit of that in Generations. 
<laughs> but we see a little bit of in generation. I'm just jonesing to see him on the floor crying. What, right when when he when uh, his entire family dies in a fire, he realizes that that was the end of his lineage. He mm. never pursued family. He never pursued having children because he put Starfleet first. He does in the shared continuity novels. <laughs> Here's my problem with when, when we start talking about what do you think might happen, because now I think I know what's going to happen. Mm. And I'm kind of bummed about that. You're right. He's going to end up as a diplomat, but he is a guy who's gone through some stuff. He has said that it, there's a chance it's going to be darker. He has said that he won't necessarily be captain. It could end up being the Michael Burnham thing where, oh, is she ever going to find the right way? Oh, it's the last episode. Of course she finds the right way. So, well, I mean, it's quite possible that Diplomat Picard doesn't come out. If it's a, if it's a four-episode thing, then he doesn't come out until episode four. If it's a ten-episode thing, he doesn't come out until episode ten. I mean, it's possible that we're going to do the the journey through darkness that we that Star Trek seems to want to do and be at this point, or that everybody says TV seems to want to do and be at this point. He's going to be more DC, less Marvel, is my fear. Just dark, 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 and then theoretically all's well because it ends well, you know, and, and never mind your guts on the floor for the first five of six or three of four or whatever Are you whatever suggesting we get a Teen Titans go of Star Trek? Because that's what I'm hearing. I bought that. I bought that IDW comic earlier this week, and I'm perfectly happy having done so. Um, I don't think Picard does that. Although, oh, although maybe, maybe he's like the the older, sort of wiser, maybe a little grizzled headmaster of say a Starfleet Academy off mm. in the country. Someplace. He's the Dumbledore now. Well, actually, I'm thinking he's Professor, Professor X. Xavier, actually. Xavier. <laughs> he's Professor X. Oh, it just Trek got universe. better. I do think that Broken Picard seems to be what they're hinting at, but my. Wonder slash concern is will Broken Picard have the same fan reaction as jaded Luke Skywalker? Fair. Ooh. Here's my favorite idea though yeah. about Broken Picard. Yeah. The toy tie-in is incredible. <laughs> Broken Picard. <laughs> you put him together. <laughs> it's a build your own model Picard set. I mean, the, uh, you look at Logan and how he played Professor Xavier at the end of his life. You know, old and and uh, suffering from his own power. Um, I, to be fair, a lot of people suffer from Xavier's power. Yeah, that's true. Um, I could see us, uh, you know, it, it, it. I wonder if he's thinking to himself, all right, well, now I'm just going to play Professor X from Logan. Yeah. Well, in space. In space. Uh, I, I kind of want to think of it this way. So, potentially, Picard is a character like Spock in the respect that we had 25 years of Spock. You know, the first 25 years of Star Trek was a huge arc for Spock. And we had broken Spock. We had broken Spock a couple of times in TOS, but primarily when he went off to do Kolinar at the beginning of TMP. And then you tell Spock's renewal after that point, and then death, and then coming back to life, but whatever. Huge, huge arc for Spock. I think there's a way to do a huge and very personal arc for Picard, that now sort of finalizes the second 25 years of Star Trek. Um, well, we the, know from uh, the mm-hmm. first J.J. film that in the Prime Universe, Romulus is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, maybe we continue the story of reunification. Oh, and we established as in long Star as we don't Trek. have to watch that episode again. We also established in Star Trek Online at one point that Jean-Luc Picard was one of the big people gunning for the Federation to do something about the imminent destruction of Romulus. So maybe we'll see something with that. Yeah. Could be. 
could be. Yeah, there are a few novels that I that I might recommend. Uh, well, definitely the Countdown comics because he's, oh, yeah. he's in there. The Countdown comics, and that is according to what is uh, everybody in the right paper in the right places is considered the c word canon. Um, <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> The other uh, is the Star Trek Online book, the tie-in book. It's a whole novel um, that leads up to where Star Trek Online begins. And let's not forget what is a really important aspect of this, which is the business of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who still, to this day, say, well, I, I don't watch Discovery because I don't like, I don't want, I don't get, I don't understand, et cetera, CBS All Access. Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart, coming back to Star Trek on that platform is a big, 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 big deal. Yeah, and I have already seen the sentiment all over social media of, well, now I'm going to get CBS right. All Access. That's exactly yeah. what it's been and, on and, and I love the idea of people who saw, you know, a half dozen stills or uh, uh, teaser trailers from Discovery who decided right away that they weren't going to watch it and they would unload all of their corporate hate energy on CBS because of All Access. I'm much more interested in the idea now that a little piece of that audience comes for Picard and then maybe while they're there they can lower themselves to watch an episode or two of Discovery or of an animated thing. They can deem to do it. Yes, yeah. Or or, or of an Academy show or whatever and realize that Again, even if it's not for them, the Star Trek universe is this bigger thing that has many more aspects to it than one interpretation. And something more familiar, even if mm-hmm. it's not the same, makes the new stuff an easier pill to swallow. Yeah, for real. Well, I think we're at a good stopping point for now, and I'm sure that we are going to most certainly... Uh, continue on this discussion in our respective shows over the course of the next several weeks and months and until it comes out. <laughs> so, until then, ladies and gentlemen, it was a real pleasure working with you again this weekend. Thank you so very much. See you next year. Woo! Yes. <laughs> next year on Ryza. Uh, I can't believe I ate all of the frozen custard. All of it. They're going to make us leave. All right, we're still sitting here. We haven't gone for our frozen custard yet, but we're going to in just a moment. Uh, John, I, I, I'm sorry I held you back. I know you're very excited to tell people what's happening later this week. Yeah, it's very important. So, as I said, we had two panels. The mission log panel was, uh, but is it Star Trek? Where we try to survey, what is it that we're saying when we are saying it's Star Trek? What's the heart of that? What's definitive? What doesn't fit possibly? Again, a great session with a lot of interaction with our listeners. That was so much fun. Uh, That will actually be our Thursday show, as you might imagine. Had to take a little time off in order to do the week of the convention. So, we will be back next week with Mission Log Live and your regular Mission Log. Uh, So that'll be the 14th and the 16th. Uh, But this week, we hope you'll enjoy these two panel discussions. And very excited to kick off season... Very excited to kick off season two of uh, Deep Space Nine and that nine-part opener. Oh, my goodness. I'm so... uh, So... uh... Talk to you soon. podcast.roddenberry.com
the Roddenberry Podcast Network.